Welcome to the PK Experience. I have a very special treat for you today. This is a call that I did with Ryan D. Lee, who is a financial advisor. And I have to tell you, this particular podcast gets me excited like few others have so far, which is quite ironic because we talk about life insurance. And what worse thing can you get excited about, quite honestly? But um, Ryan talks about life insurance in a way that is so revolutionary if you haven't heard of this strategy that he's going to be walking you through. And not only that, but he really touches on why this vehicle is this financial vehicle is something that will help you live the life, legitimately live the life that you aspire to. The, the, the dream life that you have uh, in your head is something that you can really make happen with this financial vehicle. So um, I'm going to let us just dive into it right here. This is a great call. Listen all the way through. Take notes. You're going to, um, you know, if you were like me, when I went back and re-listened to it, I had to sort of rewind and, and, and write some notes down again to make sure I understand it. But it is well, well worth it. Ryan is an excellent educator. He takes these very complex ideas and makes them very, very simple and easy to understand. I can't highly recommend this enough. So with that, let's dive into the call. Okay, we are live. Thank you for joining us. We have on today's show, Ryan D. Lee. The D is very important, I take it. <laughs> Brian Lee. And uh, today we're going to be talking about infinite banking. Um, I came across Ryan and was blown away really with not only this particular strategy that we're going to dive into in this call, but also his passion and the purpose behind it and and how he's actually living it. It's really nice to get financial input from somebody that is living the lifestyle that you aspire to live to. Myself, I'm speaking for myself in that regard. Um, too often, I think a lot of people speak to financial advisors that are you know, hourly employees and nothing wrong with that, but um, that may not be the path and they may not have the t uh, a similar mindset to get me to where I want to go. So I think a lot of the listeners want to know, how do I break out of that rat race? How do I what are the different tactics that we can use to achieve financial freedom and, and whatever that means and, and however the listener defines it for themselves. But first and foremost, Ryan, thank you for joining us today. Hey, so thanks so much, Peter. It's exciting to be here. And man, uh, I mean, what you talk about and what you believe in resonates so much with me and just men around, you know, out, out in the country. There's such a need for for that type of advice out there. There really is. It's, it's a wonderful time to be alive. Uh, these, you know, learning this stuff is um, just something you don't get in traditional education. And uh, it takes folks like you to really kind of dive in, understand the nuts and bolts, and then have the ability to describe it and illustrate it and help people see it and understand it. So what we're talking about today is a concept called infinite banking. Can you give us just a broad, you know, elevator speech on what is uh, infinite banking and how that wh why the average person should know about it? Yeah, that's that's a fantastic thing, man. I'll tell you what, when I learned about infinite banking, it was really kind of funny. I was actually getting my master's degree at the time, and I thought I was the king of finance, and I knew everything that there was about personal finance. But when I was introduced to this simple yet eloquent concept, my jaw literally dropped to the ground because it was something I had never heard up to that point. And when I was introduced to it, and then I ultimately started using it, it changed everything for me financially. And so basically what it is, it's using very uniquely designed life insurance policies that act and function as your own personal bank. Now, that might be an oversimplification of it, but it's a way to save what, uh, save and grow wealth today that you're in control of that's not correlated to the stock market, but have a very unique ability to actually leverage your wealth, leverage the value of your savings to achieve both long-term goals of having your money compound, but also short-term goals. And we'll talk a lot about that today. But the, the reason people call it infinite banking is once you understand the principles of using a life insurance policy like a bank, the possibilities of what you can do with it are literally infinite. They, it's absolutely fascinating. Uh, there was literally an elderly woman who was in tears because she, for her whole life, had been saving the traditional way. And when she finally understood the concept that, that Ryan's going to be talking about today, it opened her her 
eyes and her mind to what was possible. And, you know, obviously it's never too young to start on this, but, um, it, it, it really does have the impact that you're talking about where people, their, their jaws drop open because they don't believe that it's possible. Um, and so if you just heard Ryan talk and you heard life insurance and you heard savings and your, and your mind started to tune that out, I mean, literally myself, when I hear that, I almost have a conditioned response like, oh, I don't even want to hear what you have to say. And yet, because I, I know about this, if you're listening to this right now, stay, uh, stay attention to what we're talking about because you're going to hear terms like life insurance. You're going to hear you know, financial-related terminology. But if you understand what's underneath that, we're talking about, frankly, sounding a little bit cliche and corny, creating your dreams. This is a, a strategy and a method to make that happen. So let's let's go just uh, the next level a little bit deeper. So this is a quote-unquote infinite banking strategy where we take a life insurance policy and walk us through the fundamentals of, of how you set it up. Yeah. So here's the here's the cool thing, man. And and Peter, I want to I want to hit this really quick right at the beginning. If we really look at the value of money, right? If, if anyone who's listening to this podcast right now, if you have a twenty dollar bill or a dollar bill of any denomination, take it out of your pocket and look at that piece of paper and ask yourself, is that wealth? It really isn't. It's just a piece of paper, which ultimately means it's a tool that can be used to what you said, Peter. Create the life that you love, not when you're sixty five, but today. And at the end of the day, that's really what we all want. We want the peace of mind and the security that comes from keeping our money and then having our money be used as a tool to create life experiences that we love and want. And so the reason infinite banking, the reason life insurance can be a solution for that is you can actually structure a life insurance policy that fits within the tax code, right? So if, if we look at if we look how the tax code is structured, and this is don't go to sleep on this one either, but if you look at how the tax code is structured, it will tell you what to do if you want to keep more of your money. And if you have a life insurance policy, all of the growth that you can receive in these policies can ultimately be tax-free forever. Okay, And so all we do is we structure these policies to fit in the tax-free bucket, kind of like a Roth IRA. If I'm sure people are familiar with those type of tools. And all we do is we, we say, okay, look, how much money? are you going to put in, Mr. or Mrs. Clients? And that's unique for every single person. Once we understand how much money is going to go into one of these contracts, then we simply buy the least amount of life insurance required by the IRS to fit it in the tax-free bucket. And then everything else that you put into the policy really is just like savings in a Roth account or savings in a mutual fund or savings in real estate, right? It's, it's the investment portion of a policy. So from a structure standpoint, that's I, how it works. Can I interrupt you really quickly? I want to make it clear when Ryan is talking about the least amount of life insurance, um, one of the keys to this that was helpful for me to better understand this is you're you're using most people think of a life insurance policy for the death benefit, right? We think of the life uh, insurance policy as a payout after we pass to our loved ones as beneficiaries. What we're talking about, what Ryan's talking about, is using a life insurance policy as a tool to rebenefit while you're still alive. So when he's talking about getting the lowest amount of life insurance, it's basically saying we're going to buy this policy, but at the most cost-effective way so that we can utilize the structure and the tool. Yeah, that's a fantastic clarification, Peter. Very, very, very important. Um, <clears throat> you know, I, I'll be honest, I, I, this is this has been a concept that's been very fascinating to me and I have delved into it. Actually, I, I set up a policy and I've even borrowed against it, et cetera, but I'm still a little bit fuzzy on the math on it. Can you walk us through a, just a basic example so that somebody can understand, let's say I have 10 grand. How, how would I apply it towards this strategy? Okay. This is a great concept and we're going to, we're going to give people, I think, access to actually watch a video that has all of these numbers, but I'm going to explain it to you very basic. When you set up these policies, right, we set it up in such a way we, we call this. So everyone that we work with, we, we help them kind of train their minds on how to make financial decisions. And the very first thing that we have to use inside of our financial planning is putting the individual in control. The, the sad part about financial investing and financial planning today is the individual is never in control, which ultimately what that means, they have their, you know, their eyes closed, their fingers crossed. And they hope that somehow the market takes care of them, that taxes stay low, that their financial advisor has their best interest in mind. But at the end of the day, 
Their plan is built on hope, not strategy. And the closer they get to retirement or wanting access to their savings, the more anxiety ultimately you know, fills that individual because they never really know what the outcome of their savings will ultimately be. Okay. So the first principle is when we use life insurance, right? The, one of the reasons that we're using life insurance is it will put you 100% in the driver's seat and be in control. You'll know exactly what you have. You'll know exactly how it works and you'll know exactly how you can utilize it. And one of these aspects and benefits of these policies is, Peter, if you put in $10,000 into a policy, that money is 100% liquid and available to you. Okay. Now, what this means, you have a unique relationship with the insurance company and they will allow you to take what's called a policy loan. Now, you mentioned borrowing against the policy. That's really all it is. The insurance companies, they actually have to have millions of dollars liquid. Meaning if we all came to the insurance company at the same time and said, hey, guess what? I want my money back. They would have to be able to produce it for us. Whereas if we go to a bank, we all know we put our money in the bank and the banks go out and use it to run their business. And if we all came and asked for our money at the same time, it's not there. Right. Insurance companies are different. So we they have our money. They have their, our money invested in short term investments. And when we take a policy loan, the insurance company actually lends us the money. They don't take the money out of our policy. They lend the money from their stores, from their you know reserve capital. And they charge us an interest rate. Now, here's the best part about it. The interest rate that they charge us is a simple interest rates, you know, type of loan. But you're in the driver's seat. So the insurance company will never ask you why you're taking a loan, what you're doing with it, how you're going to pay it back. If you're going to pay it back, you get to control all of that. As you pay back the policy loan, the cost of the loan goes down. So it works just like a mortgage, right? Every time you make a payment on your mortgage, a little bit more of your payment goes to principal, a little bit less goes to interest. And over a long period of time, right, the cost of the loan goes down. Mm -hmm. Policy loans, the same thing. Every payment you make, cost of the loan goes down. Okay. So the question would be, why would I ever pay an insurance company to essentially borrow my own money? We get access to borrow the money and use it for whatever our short-term goals are. And we'll talk more about that. But on the other side of the equation, the money never came out of our policy, meaning that the money continues to compound year over year over year. So as your cost goes down with a policy loan, the profit from your compounding in the policy goes up and you have a completely inverse relationship, meaning you get to use the value of your money today to accomplish whatever your short-term goals are, but still have your money compounding and growing. I, I like just hearing you say that again, the jaws continue to drop. It's this, yeah. this is where, this is where I think it really becomes uh, a game changer for people. I want to take a quick step back so people understand, because when they hear this and they think of the financial benefit, it, it this is where the oh, it must be too good to be true, or what am I missing? It sounds like is it a scam? Like what is this? Can you just give us a brief history of where this concept came from, and how long it's been in place, and and that it's totally yeah. above board and IRS, uh, you know, accredited, et cetera. Yeah. So here's the cool thing. The insurance companies that actually run these type of policies, they've been in business for hundreds, and I'll repeat that, hundreds of years, meaning that this concept, this strategy, and these type of policies have been in existence before the Federal Reserve, before the stock market, before the tax code as it exists today. I mean, these insurance companies are literally the backbone of the economy in the US. Okay. So there are some of the most, I mean, everyone's heard of New York Life. You can set up one of these policies with an insurance company that has the brand and the name recognition and the history of New York Life. That, and they'll put that all on the table and say, OK, hey, New York Life is standing behind this contract that we're just setting up for you right now. OK, so that's the first thing. And the, the, the second thing about this is, you know, insurance as it exists today. Right. Most people think of and, and we'll just do a quick tour through time. Right. You know, most people before the industrial. Industrial revolution, most people saved in a way that is completely different from how people hmm. save today, right? Most people consider saving today, putting it in the stock market. And you're not really saving money that way. Mm -hmm. You're investing it, meaning you're putting your money at risk. And it might be there and it might not. But you take all of the risk of that happening. And, and anyone who went through 2008 remembers what it feels like, the punch in the gut that it feels like to lose your money in an investment and have all of a sudden your dreams of retirement retirement and whatever you were saving for or investing for change right before your eyes. Insurance companies don't invest that way. Insurance companies only invest in things that they can control, meaning they come to the table and say, okay, Mr. and Mrs. Client, because we control our investments through our business and through cash flowing investments, 
we can actually give you a guaranteed rate of return. So inside of your policy, New York Life will come to the table and say, we're going to put a 180-year track record on the table and write a contract with you, meaning the money in your policy has a guaranteed rate of return for the rest of your life. And on top of that, we'll also allow you to participate in our profitability because New York Life, go to the stock exchange right now and try to buy stock in New York Life. You can't do it. Hmm. New York Life is not a publicly traded company. They are actually owned, believe it or not, by their policyholders meaning the people who have these type of policies own New York Life, and the more profitable they are, the more profitable the owners, i.e. the policyholders are, because the insurance company, above their guaranteed rate of return, gives a dividend, and they've done it every single year they've been in business, back to their policyholders. Mm. So it kind of shifts the whole fundamentals. You're not investing, hoping for a positive outcome, but not having any control. You're saving in a way what that's predictable and 100% in, inside of your control. Okay, so let's pick it up to from where we left off with the ten thousand uh, dollars. Let's say a young couple has the ten grand, or anybody for that matter, takes the ten grand. They go. What type of policy are they looking for? Like, let's get to the granular level a little bit. What what yeah. should they be asking for? What are they looking for? What type of policy? Okay, so going back to that idea of you being in control, that's the foundation of everything we do. We want you to know exactly what you have and be in control of your financial future. So we recommend whole life insurance policies, and the reason for that. There's zero variability. There's zero un ambiguity. You know exactly what you have and exactly what how the policy works. So it's a whole life policy built, as you mentioned, to minimize the cost of insurance and maximize the cash of the policy. Okay. So does any uh, insurance provider have whole life policy uh, policies, or are you looking for a different? You know, are you looking for a specific okay. provider? That's another another good distinguishing factor. So there's about 300 insurance companies that are in business today. Um, somewhere in that neighborhood, it might be a little bit more than that, but about 300 companies. Out of those companies, there's only a very small handful of companies that are actually called mutual companies, meaning they're not publicly traded. They're owned by their policyholders. And if you think about a public company, you know, a company who's public has shareholders, meaning you, you know, if you if you take something like Transamerica or companies that are that are publicly traded, I can actually come in and buy stock in Transamerica. Now Transamerica has to make decisions not just for their policyholders, but for their stock, you know, their stockholders, and they have to, you know, level up to quarterly profitability reports and make decisions that might not be as long-term oriented as as other companies. So we recommend mutual insurance companies like New York Life, like Penn Mutual, like Mass Mutual, companies that are not publicly traded, and then we recommend whole life policies built to go right up to that IRS line to buy just enough life insurance to keep it qualified as a life insurance policy and maximize the cash value of the policy. So whole life, mutual life insurance companies. Okay. And then to give, go even another layer deeper, are all whole life policies created equal? Good question. So two, two aspects to that. Most people, and you you mentioned traditional financial advice. Most people who use life insurance, they don't use it in the way that we're talking about. Now, if they do, they might know roughly how to structure a policy the right way. They might understand how to you know, fit it within the tax code and all of that. But what we recommend is if you want to use a policy in the way that we're talking about, you need to work with an advisor that does this as their primary focus and emphasis. It's a whole different brand of thinking. It's a whole different philosophy and strategy around building wealth and living life. So you can go to Infinite Banking, you know, Nelson Nash. Um, there's groups out there. We're Atlas Wealth Solutions. There's, you know, Integra Financial. There's several groups that specialize in this concept. And I would recommend working with a group like that that knows exactly how to use these con these these policies and how to structure them to meet the client's best interests. Um, you mentioned Nelson Nash. I just want to take a make a little quick footnote. Nelson was the uh, man that kind of came up with this strategy, was he not? Yeah. Okay, totally. and then he he wrote the what's the name of the book again? Becoming your own banker. Becoming your own. Yeah, he's the godfather of this whole thing, and it's crazy. His story is really really unique and interesting. How he discovered it. Um, and how we started structuring policies in this way, but he's really the kind of the godfather of uh, that's what I call him, the godfather of setting up policies maximum funded to fit within the life insurance um, you know criteria, and then taking that strategy to the masses. Right? He was really the the one that that was really the the driving force behind that in the beginning. And you said this was uh, this, he was alive hundreds of years ago. He, this was. Right? No, no. So Nelson, uh, he, he's still alive right now. He's an older dude. He's he, he's in his mid eighties, early nineties. Oh, he is still around. Okay. Yeah, he's still around. He's written. He's written a book. You can get it. I'm pretty sure you can get it free. 
becoming your own banker, but there's several groups out there or Kim Butler. Um, there's groups out there that, that promote this type of strategy as well. So, but the, but the strategy is hundreds of years old. People have been using the strategy for a long time, correct? So here's the crazy thing, man. I mean, if you think about, you know, if you think about what the wealthy do, do you, do we ever think that the wealthy, the, are they just investing in mutual funds better than the average person? They're not, right? They do the exact opposite. It's not like Warren Buffett has a corner on the mutual fund industry, right? Mm -hmm. He doesn't. Warren Buffett buys controlling interest in companies and his investment is either in real estate or in companies. And his whole goal is to protect the money that he has. And so I mean, we can go through the history and we can go from Walt Disney, right? The, the, we were just talking about Disney cruises with our kids. Walt Disney, the original creator of Disneyland, you know how he did that? He did it by taking a policy loan on a life insurance policy that he had. If you go back and watch the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. In It's a Wonderful Life, they actually make a reference that, uh, what's the guy's name? George, I think. He, I can't remember exactly what what the uh, it's been a while since I watched I the movie, recall. but he took a policy loan. He, I mean, his he was saving in life insurance and he took a policy loan to to cover a short term debt and an obligation that he had. So, it's been around for a long time. It hasn't been a it hasn't been as um, really as marketable as as Nelson Nash made it. Nelson Nash really put the the infrastructure and the strategy and the philosophy behind it. Got it. But it's for hundreds of years. Got it. So that's I love that fact about Disney because uh, when you guys mentioned that on your talk the other day, that was that was fascinating. It's fascinating to know yeah. that that's how he used that to to grow Disney. But um, that's how we started. Right? No, the banks wouldn't loan him money, so he just took it out of his life insurance policy and said, "Look, he, I'm going to go." Didn't he go like? Didn't he get turned down by multiple banks? Multiple banks. He started Disneyland oh, wow. with life insurance policy loan. Wow, that's so cool. We would not be – we would not have Disney if it wasn't for infinite banking. How about that? I'm grateful. My kids would be different people without it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, very cool. So, okay. So back to our example, you have $10,000. So we know kind of what type of policy to look for. It's a whole life policy. Um, you mentioned uh, the different advisors that are out there. Can you give us uh, an indication as to what makes a good advisor and, and what to maybe stay away from uh, and specifically – like fees, <laughs> how much money? Because yeah, I've I've so, spoken to a few and and they're very different. And I've I, I was with one for a little while and I went down the path and and then I found out what their cost structure was and it was I thought I was investing that money and I was it just I was investing in them I wasn't investing in my policy. We have we have a term for this in Atlas Wealth Solutions and and this is our term. Um, we call traditional advising goldfish advice and, and it came from an analogy. Imagine three goldfish swimming in a, a goldfish bowl, right? Two of the goldfish are, are fairly new goldfish to the bowl. And one, you know, he's the old guy. He's been there around for, been, been in the goldfish bowl for a long time. And as the two younger goldfish swim by the older goldfish, the older goldfish, um, or the two younger goldfish, let's see, I mean, I'm getting my story wrong. <laughs> the older goldfish turns to the two younger and he says, okay, hey, morning boys, how's the water? And the two younger goldfish get a puzzled look on their face and they swim on. And then they turn around and they say, what the hell's water? Right. And the, the two younger goldfish, obviously, they didn't know that they were even a goldfish bowl. They didn't know they were swimming in water. They didn't know what they didn't know. And I'll tell you what, most of the financial advice across the entire board that anyone has ever given doesn't come from a financial advisor. It comes from a salesman. Mm -hmm. And a salesman is paid a commission and a fee to sell a product. And they sell the product that they're told to sell or the one that pays them the highest commission. I mean, that's all it is. And so for most financial strategy, and, and the crazy part about this, I, my business partner actually came from this world where he worked in a call center and gave financial advice to people based off a sales sheet. He found out how old they were, what they had to invest, and then he sold them a list of products on a menu that was, in, that was placed in front of them. And that menu would change based on the fees and the commissions that they were able to charge. Okay, so life insurance is no different than that. People can say all the right things, but then sell you something completely different, mm -hmm. right? So what we teach people is you need to know two things, and this is the simplest way to do it. You need to know how much money you want to put into a policy. If it's $10,000 or $100,000 or any number, you need to know how much you want to put in. The next thing you need to know is what is the IRS limit? What's the least amount of life insurance for that amount of money you're putting in and the most amount of cash value? And every policy we set up, we actually show our clients, okay, Mr. Client, you want to put in $10,000. Here's the IRS limit. You can see your policy was set up right to the $10,000 limit, which means the least amount of cost is built into your policy. We're just buying enough life insurance for you to put in $10,000, period. That's it. So it can, it can be very visible. Most financial advisors will never 
share that because the more life insurance they sell you, guess what? The more they make. So as an advisor of this type of strategy, you're making your money on the policy that you sell? Bingo, 100%. Life insurance advisors make their money from the life insurance company based on the amount of life insurance they sell. But but that would be the traditional type of death benefit style life insurance. You're talking about a an alive benefit life insurance. So as you as the advisor, you're still getting paid on on the policy that you're selling? Yeah, so you get paid based on the structure of the policy, but this is where I could come to you and I could say, okay, hey, Peter, yes, you want all of these great benefits, but you know what? We really need to buy a bigger death benefit. What happens if this? What happens if that? You know, And I can sell you a policy that has very little to do with what you actually wanted, but because I'm a good salesman, I can convince you to buy something different and say, one day when you're you know, this age, then we can access the policy. And that's honestly how most of this stuff is sold. It's sold as a product that will serve a future need, which is all financial planning. Put your money in here. Don't think about it. Close your eyes, cross your fingers, and hope maybe it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. Now, life insurance can be sold the exact same way. So when you come to us, we just simply say, and, and you can do this with any financial advisor if they know what they're doing, they're willing to share it. Hey, Mr. or Mrs. You know, advisor, I want to put this much money in. What's the least amount of life insurance I have to own in order for this contract to work? And then I come to the table and I say, okay, yes, this is the policy that we're going to build. You can see it's structured right up to that limit. So you know your costs are as absolutely as low as they have to be for you to get what you want. Um, so the skeptics out there will say that seems like a little bit of a conflict of interest for you selling a product that in my best interest as the buyer, it benefits me to have the smallest amount possible, the smallest you know coverage possible. Or, or I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. No, you're saying it right. Yep. Okay. So – that's a little bit of a conflict of interest if you're making money on that. Is there another way? Is there another fee that you guys make? Is there a per transaction? Because I think one of the advisors I spoke to added a point onto however much I was investing and and that that ultimately was their fee. So are there any other areas that that the average person should be looking at to where they might be paying an advisor a fee? Yeah, that's a great question. So it depends on the type of policy. If you're setting up policies that are correlated to the stock market, they're called universal life policies. There can be additional charges and surplus charges on indexing you or tying you to the stock market. The reason we use whole life is it's cut and dry. It's plain and simple. It's black and white. This is what your cost is. We're buying the least amount of life insurance and there's zero ambiguity on top of that. Okay. So is there a requirement to continue to to fund the policy? If you have $10,000 and you had that aside and you want to put that into a policy, do you have to continue to put money in the policy or can you just drop the 10 grand and be done? Yeah, that's a great question. So every policy is designed unique to the individual. And in some cases, yeah, you just put money in one time and you never put money in ever again. So and then another thing that we look for with these insurance companies, going back to that number one principle of keeping the, the client in control we want to work with companies that are going to give the clients unlimited flexibility in between, you know, maybe they don't put in 10,000, right? Maybe they need to put in less than that. So we want to give them flexibility within their policy. And then we also want to give them flexibility to fund their policy as long or as little as they want. And so we, we use companies that give an unlimited exit strategy. If you put in $10,000 today and you're done, you're done. We close the contract, no more money required after that. If you put in $10,000 this year and five next year and 10 year three, you know, we build the flexibility in there so you have the the ability to do that. So yes, to your point, Peter, you can build policies that you fund only one time and you never put any more money into, or you fund over a long period of time. I've, my, my first policy I set up 10 years ago, and I've been putting money into it now for, for 10 years. Um, you mentioned a contract. So if you set up a contract where you're putting in 500 bucks a month, are you obligated to, to do that? If you What happens if you don't? Yep. And Good walk question. us through what the contract is. So think about your policy kind of like a bucket, okay? And going back to that that first principle, how much money are you going to put in? If you're going, if your goal is to put in five hundred dollars a month, your bucket, you know, needs to be built so you can have the ability to put in a maximum of five hundred dollars a month. Only enough life insurance is purchased for you to hit hit the goal that you have. Now. If you get into a year that you can't or don't want to pay the full amount, right? In these contracts, there's a minimum amount you have to pay as long as you want to put money in. And there's a maximum amount that you can put in as long as you want to put money in. And the maximum is your savings goal. The minimum amount, it's called a base premium. 
And that base premium is the amount of money that you're contracting with the insurance company that as long as you want to put money in, you'll at least put that minimum amount in. Best way to think about it, it's about a 25-75 ratio. So if you're going to put in $10,000, your maximum amount's 10, your minimum amount's going to be about $2,500 a year, give or take, if that's the number. Okay. And then worst case scenario, for some reason, somebody's not able to, to pay the minimum, what happens? Two things. Worst case scenario, if it's, if it's a short-term thing, you can actually take a policy loan and use your cash value to pay the minimum amount. And that's only good if it's going to be a one or a two year type of thing. If you know you're done putting money in either out of necessity or life circumstances just change, then we want to work with companies that will allow you to close your policy to where no minimum amount is ever required again. So either having the flexibility in the short term to keep your policy open and active by using your cash to pay the minimum or having the ability to close your policy, it's called a reduced paid up contract meaning the insurance company will reduce your death benefit down to the amount of life insurance that you've officially bought up to that point. And everything that you have in terms of the cash and the growth and all of that's locked in, It'll, that will never change. But your contract's paid up and no more minimum amount is ever required. Okay. Um, I, I know there's probably a million more questions that we have around this. And, and at the end of this call, we're going to um, point people to one of your websites where they can really start to better understand this and see some visuals in the video and everything. So we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But I want to go back to this uh, hypothetical scenario where we have uh, somebody that has $10,000. They uh, now know what type of policy to look for. They now know what type of advisor to to look for and, and how they're making their money. So walk us through sort of that next step. They've taken the money, they've invested it, uh, or they've saved it, I guess, uh, into the policy. And so now they have this this life insurance policy that has – is the cash benefit the amount of money that you put into it? Or is, there, is that right? Good question. So when the policies are set up in the first year, you'll have about 75 to 80% of what you put in. So if you put in $10,000, you'll have about $7,500 of cash available. The other 2,500 is literally buying you life insurance. That's when I say we want to reduce the cost as low as possible. In year two, if you put in another $10,000, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 to 85% of what you put in is available in cash. So you put in 10, $8,500 of the 10 shows up in cash. When the policies are structured the way I'm talking about, buy your third premium, your dollar for dollar. You put in 10, 100% of what you put in shows up in cash value, and it remains that way for the rest of your life. So today, I'm putting in money into the policy I set up 10 years ago. The second I put that money in, it's immediately available in cash value plus the growth that I've earned, and I can go in and start using it and, and using it for my financial plan. Okay. <clears throat> um, all right. So... Somebody's invested, let's say the $10,000, they'll have approximately $7,500 that they could then borrow against their policy and, and get right back. Bingo. Right? So um, a lot of the people that are probably listening to this call and uh, are real estate investors. So a lot, of the t a lot of people like this strategy from a real estate investment standpoint because they can borrow against their life insurance policy. They put it, let's say, let's take a step back. They put $10,000 into the policy. They're able to take out seventy five hundred relatively immediately. Um, the ten thousand dollar cash benefit still continues to accrue and yes. and compound. The seventy five hundred dollars that they borrowed against, they can now use towards an investment. And then, uh, if you could walk us through, and maybe ten thousand is not enough, but if you could walk us through maybe a standard real estate investment, and then yeah. what happens with the profits on that, and how the tax is affected. Can I, can I walk you through this with a story? Yeah, that's actually even better. <laughs> okay, and this is my story, okay. man, and this is how I got into it. So I'm going to give you a little bit about my backstory and why and how I'm doing what I'm doing today. I started just like most people, right? I, I actually grew up as an entrepreneur, right? If you can believe it, I actually had a paper route. I don't think those really exist anymore today. <laughs> but from a paper route- the 50s? How is that possible? Oh, you don't look that old. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, I'm about the same age as you, I would imagine, right? But paper routes back in the day on my Huffy bike, cruising around my neighborhood, tossing papers around. And so I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always been a hustler. And, you know, it, it's kind of interesting when I was, when I was in college, because I knew I had to go to college because my dad preached that to me from, you know, the time I was little to the time I should have been in college. And when I was in college, I actually had a side hustle where I, I had a, a lawn aerating business and I would take, you know, other high school, actually high school kids out and, I'd, you know, we'd knock net doors and we'd aerate people's lawns. 
And I made more money in a weekend. The crazy part about it, I made more money in a weekend than I did in my first full-time job after I had a college degree. Hmm. Okay, but I knew I had to follow the safe and secure route of getting a job, putting my money in a 401k and doing you know, the, the sensible thing. And here's, here's how it all started for me, man. When I was in college, there was an individual who was in my college class, in my graduating class, and I thought he was crazy. He was buying real estate in college. And I didn't know it at the time how much he was buying, but he was buying real estate. And I thought, for sure, I'm going to see this guy on the breadline because he was the only guy when we graduated that did not have a job to go off and use their degree. I had a job. I ended up moving from California and into Texas and all over the country. And, you know, my thing was when I first got out and I was, I was you know, working the, the corporate job, every, you know, I, I, I felt so disconnected. And I, I've always been a good saver. So I put my money in the 401k and I got my magical company match and all of that. And I thought I was on track and maybe I could retire early if I saved more money. But 2008 totally woke me up and it woke me up to two principles. Number one, I had zero control over what I was doing. Zero, which meant I had no way to influence the outcome. Number two, I was still pretty young. I'd only been in the in the corporate world for about five years when 2008 happened, but I'll, I'll never forget it, man. I sat around with my coworkers, people who were in their 50s, and those guys were devastated. I mean, their entire hopes and dreams shattered within a matter of months right before their eyes. And I remember looking at those guys thinking to myself, man, I'm doing the same thing they're doing. And I don't like the life I'm living. Every promotion I take, I move to a new state and I lose a little bit more of my soul as what I felt like, Yep. right? But I'm doing the same thing they're doing. And how on earth am I ever going to get better or different results than they're doing? And so I, I went on this quest and I traveled a ton at the time. And I, I traveled about 90% of my time at the corporate job I was working. And I, I started using those plane rides as my education. I started reading a bunch of books. And every book I read seemed to be the same strategy, a different mutual fund strategy, a different asset allocation model, a way to do options. It just, it seemed to be all of these same strategies. And I tried a bunch of them, but I never felt like I had any control. And I, I came home for Christmas and I was lamenting, I was sad. And I ran into this old college friend and I could tell immediately when I ran into him, he was in a different financial hemisphere than I was mm -hmm. different. He didn't try to brag or rub it in, but I asked him, I said, Chris, you've got to tell me what you're doing. And invited me to come to his office, and I took my wife. We drove to his office, and he sat down, and he actually explained this concept. I'm putting my money in life insurance, and I'm buying real estate. Hmm. I'm doing it over and over and over again. And since we, you, since we last met in college, I went from 12 properties in college to now well over 100 just five years later. Wow. Self-made millionaire, doing it through life insurance and buying real estate. And my jaw literally dropped to the ground, and he told me, that he would actually teach me his strategy if I paid him $5,000. Now, here's the thing. I had never made that type of investment in myself. I guess you can consider college an investment in myself, but I never made that type of investment. And at that point, $5,000 was almost all I had to offer or all, all I had to give. And we wrote the check and I'll never forget it. We were driving home back to my parents' house in, a, in our, you know, our borrowed Toyota RAV4. And there was this awkward silence between my wife and I. And I thought she was pissed. You know, she gave me the thumbs up and said we could do it because she knew I was just, I was dying inside of my corporate job. <clears throat> um, and she said, you know what? Was just, we were driving down the road, awkward silence. And then we just turned to each other after a moment. And we just started laughing. Hmm. We didn't know what we'd done at that moment, but we took a bet on ourselves. And I'll tell you what, that bet has paid off in spades because from that point to today, I have funded life insurance and used life insurance to buy investment real estate. And my financial plan went from being complex, what should my next, next stock strategy be? How should I do asset allocation? How do I do puts and calls? To simple, I put my money in life insurance, I take a policy loan, I buy cash flowing real estate, I use the cash flow to pay back the policy loan, and I push the repeat button. And I do it over and over and over and over again. Fascinating. Fascinating. And, oh, man, I mean, this to me is, is such a powerful answer for, you know, the, the person who's looking to create wealth for themselves and financial freedom, but um, as in your case, and I know so many other people that are just dying at work and they're living, you know, they're renting their life away to somebody else that's uh, enjoying their lives. Um, so, uh, I love this strategy. So can I, this is a total tangent, but I'm curious what led you and your wife to be able to deal with Well, here, let me take a step back. One thing that I've recognized in entrepreneurs is their ability to be, to, to on one level, either tolerate or be comfortable with not knowing, 
be comfortable with uncomfortableness. What was it about you and your wife that, from a mindset standpoint, allowed you to make that investment in yourself when, at the time, that seemed like it was way too much money? <clears throat> Knowing that no one's going to care more about my future and my life than me. And if I'm not going to take responsibility for it, then I deserve every bit of the life that is given to me, right? If I'm, if I'm willing to show up at a job, cross my fingers, hope that it works out, hope I get the next promotion and just live a life based off of hope, then I'm not actively intentionally creating a life that I want. And man, you know, now in the position that I'm in where I, I you know, at the end of the day, I sell, I sell life insurance to people, right? And I've actually had two of my clients die. And uh, I'll tell you what, man, there is nothing that gives you more perspective than realizing how fragile mm. our lives are. And we all think we're invincible, right? It's not going to happen to us. We're going to live until we're 150, but we never know. And for me and for my wife, it came down to, I'm not going to live a deferred lifestyle anymore. I'm not going to wait and hope that one day I have enough and one day it all works out. And one day magically I get to live the good life. I'm going to create it now. And as uncomfortable as it is, as hard as it is, I would li rather live my life on my own terms than someone else's. Uh, you just changed somebody's life. Whoever's listening to this right now, I, I, that's powerful. And I, I tip my cap to you on that because that's, it's, um, something that's in my heart as well. And, you know, I get, I get fired up thinking about it. Um, walk us through a little bit how you talked about that you have some clients that have passed on, um, that is, that have leveraged this strategy and, or maybe talk about your own personal experience. Like what, what does that look like for you? What does a life living on your own terms look like? So somebody can get a tangible idea as to what it at least means for you. Well, here, here's the thing, man. I mean, in the beginning, I talked to you about what is true wealth. And oftentimes, we, we confuse money as wealth. And money is a tool that can create a wealthy lifestyle, but money in and of itself is not wealth. It's just a piece of paper. It's a, it's a, it's a bargaining chip that we're able to use to say, hey, Peter, I'll give you this piece of paper in exchange for your goods and services. That's all it is. It's a way to make transacting easier. Okay. Um, what true wealth really is, is for me, it's about having time freedom. And I don't, you know, I don't believe in the sense of time freedom. In the beginning, when I first started this, I thought I would be the guy that sits on a beach, you know, sipping a pina colada because I had a bunch of real estate and a bunch of cash flow. And at the core, that's how financial freedom is sold. But what I believe, man, is every single one of us, we have a unique God-given purpose here on this earth. And that purpose, when we focus on it and when we solve it, it provides value to other people. I could never do what you do, Peter right? Your purpose is yours. My purpose is mine. And when we align, we can exchange and have a mutually beneficial exchange because you're bringing your skill sets, your mindsets, your unique God-given purpose to me. And that's valuable to me. And so what I'm saying here with all of this is financial freedom is nothing more than having time freedom. Mm -hmm. so you can actually choose to use your time to build a life that you love. And part of that life is living your life on purpose. And I believe Living your life on purpose for, for everyone should just be doing, you know, solving problems. Whether you do that in a business form, you do that, you know, by giving service, you do that with your family, you do that with your children. It's about having control over how you invest and utilize your time. And for me in the beginning, even when I got going in real estate, I didn't understand it. You know, my wife and I joke, um, when we lived in our first house, we had started this concept. And I took literally, I went crazy. You know, this is not a good crazy. I went crazy. I took every once I saw that I had a path to getting out of the corporate world, I put every penny, and I'm not kidding, every penny into these policies and into real estate. And it was funny. We lived in a house for three years. And when you knock on our front door, you would we would open up the, the front door and you would walk into an empty room. And then you could walk into our kitchen and we had a couch that came with the house and a table that was given to my parents for a graduation present. And then every room had a bed in it. And my wife, we, we joke about it because I remember we had this conversation. It was a heated battle because she wanted to buy a picture and decorate our house and turn our home into a, you know, a house into a home. And I said, no, why would we do that when I have this cash flow, when we have this, then we'll live our life. I was still missing the point. And it wasn't until a personal health related incident with my oldest son slapped me right in the face mm. that I realized I was missing everything. Mm. Just because I had a different financial plan, I didn't get the concept of true wealth. And I'll never forget that. It taught me the value of living my life, not tomorrow, not when I'm 65, but to today. Mm, powerful. There's a, there's a famous saying that says uh, the ultimate 
the ultimate failure is success without fulfillment. And uh, yeah, um, Tony yeah. Robbins. Tony Robbins. Yep. And and so many people, um, especially that alpha energy that just gets out there and wants to dominate and rule the world, is so hungry after success and oftentimes achieve it, and then they're empty inside. There's nobody to share it with. So I, that's a I love that. Um, I have to ask you, we were talking before we started recording this. I know we're getting close on time here, but, um, you mentioned a family crest. Would you, would you mind sharing yeah. what that, what that means and what you're doing with that? Yeah. And, and man, if I could actually go open the shirts, I just got the box today. I haven't opened it yet, but I know we're doing a podcast, but here's the thing, man. So when this happened with my son, um, my son had ended up having to have an open heart surgery and it totally shifted my perspective, totally shifted my perspective. Mm. So we use our policies in one of two ways now. We use our policies to buy time through cash flowing real estate, or we actually use our policies to create lifestyle. And so we have a system and a strategy. We have a policy uniquely set up. We call it the fun policy, and it is only used to create lifestyle experiences with our family. We've used it to do donations. Right now, we're actually using it. Over the last six months, we had a little challenge, my wife and I. We set up these we live a challenge-based lifestyle. And so we're always setting little goals within our family and they're short-term goals. And it's just, it pushes us to kind of always live life intentionally, right? And so the last challenge that we live, that we that we set for ourselves is we wanted to create a framework within our family of what it means to be elite, what we stand for as individuals. And so o- over the summer, we took our kids on a bunch of hikes and we talked about words. What does it mean to be elite to you, Kiana, to you, Doug, and to you, Desmond? Those are and my kids' names. You're, you're saying it kind of quickly. Lee is your last name. So what does it mean to be a Lee family Lee. member? Got it. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And we came up with four things. To be a Lee, our foremost prized you know, attributes are faith, kindness, strength, and fun. Hmm. And so we created a crest, a family crest, that has pictures that symbolize those words and we put them on shirts and our kids helped us. Do, and we, we designed it. We went to 99 designs and we had them, you know, we paid some people to design us a, a crest, a family crest. We drew up you know, sitting right here on my desk. So this is our first shot at it. We drew our own version of it right here. Oh, I love it. And then we had it built, you know, had it turned into an actual crest. And then we're putting it on shirts and we're taking our kids. They don't know that it's actually an actual cruise, but we're taking our kids on a celebration to celebrate what we've created as a family. And this will now serve as a framework. And it's been really fun, man, because the last couple of weeks, you know, we've had some, you know, parenting moments within our family. And my daughter, she actually said, well, the Lees stand for kindness. That's not how we act. That's not how we treat each other. The Lees stand for kindness. And man, I didn't have to say that. My daughter said it. She's nine. And so it's just a, I don't know. It's just a way for us to, to really try to instill values in our children that we all believe in and we can live our lives by a code. Oh, it's fantastic. I love it. I'm totally doing that. I, we, I started that actually a little while ago and it's, that's inspiring me to revisit that. Um, well, Ryan, we are just about out of time. Um, but let me just do a quick recap going back to the nuts and bolts here for a second, make sure that we didn't miss anything. So let's say you have $10,000, you're investing it in a whole life policy. You gave us some tips on what type of policy to look for. Um, you recommended that we do that through an advisor. Do you have to use an advisor or, or th- is that just best case or I mean, uh, best practice? Yeah. You know, you honestly do. You have to, insurance yeah. Insurance companies right now will only set these policies up with licensed advisors that can set up these type of policies. Okay. Good to know. So we know the right type of policy. You have to find a licensed advisor. Um, you're then investing that into the policy and then, um, we could potentially do another call with uh, some of your 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 cohorts, uh, Jimmy and Bob, about how to take that money and invest it in real estate to create those cash flowing uh, opportunities. I love what you said about um, having two types of policies: one that buys time and one that buys the lifestyle. That's brilliant to me. Um, and yeah, I think I think that covers at least the infinite banking side of the equation. Is there anything that we missed? Any other things that you need to add? Man, I, I think and it, just going back to the name Infinite Banking, once you understand, I mean, we talked about it, but once you understand how to use these policies like a bank, quite literally, the possibilities are infinite. And I want you to, you know, anyone listening to this, I want you to imagine what your life would look like, feel like, and be like if for the first time, perhaps, you had control over your financial plan. You had a tool that would keep you on track for your long-term goals but you could leverage the value of that money today to create a lifestyle that mattered to you today. 
changes the whole game. It changes the whole dynamic. And now I don't care what happens in the stock market. I really honestly don't. I don't care who sits in the Oval Office. Now, I, they're, for political reasons, I do. But from my money, it doesn't matter. I've shielded and protected my money from taxes forevermore. And that's the benefit of this. We put you in the driver's seat. You're now in a position of control. And imagine what your life would look like if you had control over your financial plan. What could you create? What kind of purpose could you live? And what kind of you know human life potential could you fulfill? Uh, it's uh, that's a that's a total game changer uh, in my mind. I actually, you did mention the tax situation. I wanted to follow up with you on that. If somebody uses the money to buy, let's say, real estate and it's cash flowing uh, a net one thousand dollars a month, what's the tax? What does the taxes look like on that? And does that go to you? Does it go to the policy? How does that how does that get set up? Good question. So think of it this way. No matter what you do with the cash, once it comes out of your policy, essentially, right? Once you take a policy loan and use it for something else, whether it's real estate or a vacation, we have to deal with the tax consequences of that investment, of that decision. So in real estate, if you have $1,000 net positive cash flow, I would encourage you to have a tax plan around that $1,000 to minimize the tax liability of that as much as possible. And you can absolutely do that with real estate. Once you've then got that money, you then get to, you know, you pay taxes on it, then you put it back in your policy. And from that point forward, once you've secured it in your policy, it grows tax-free from that point forward. Okay. Okay. Got it. That's a good delineation delineation between the policy itself and the investments that you're putting in. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for that uh, one final tip. Where should somebody go if they would like more information about what you are up to and, and or to get educated more on, on all of this? Yeah. So, I mean, we've got a few different places to go, but we put up a landing page no obligation. You don't have to opt in. You can actually go to the landing page. And I think we put four or five videos on it. So cashflowtactics.com. There's four or five videos on there that will show you exactly how these policies work, how you can use them for real estate. And then only if you want to, there's an opportunity for you to connect with us to see if we can help you out. Fantastic. I'm going to say that one more time because you were cutting out a little bit. I want to make sure it's clear. It's cashflowtactics.com, all one word. Ryan, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate um, the knowledge that you were dropping on this call, but also just um, the example that you're setting and uh, the life that you're creating with your family. It's very inspirational. So thank you, man. And if we uh, maybe we get to you know have another call and kind of pick it up from where we left off. Peter, I love it, man. It's such an honor to be here. I love what you're doing and the message that you're spreading. Such a needed message in today's world. Fantastic, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks again.